For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jesus. I want that. I want it. I want it. Thank you, Lauren. Hey, everybody. Hello. Okay, we're so we're good. We're good. Um, <clears throat> I'm excited about tonight. Um, I'm excited. I love that we uh, got to sing. I am who you say I am. I think um, reading through Ephesians in these first three chapters that Paul lays out to these Gentile believers in the city of Ephesus. Um, I think we need to sing. <clears throat> I am as a follower of Jesus, as one who's put their faith in Christ and is in Christ. I am who God says I am, and I have what God says I have, because Paul makes some audacious claims about us. We're gonna look at it, but he makes some crazy statements about who we are, what we have, and what we are doing on this earth. And so I'm excited to look into it, um, but I'm gonna pray first. <clears throat> Father, thank you for tonight. <clears throat> thank you so much. Um, for your grace and your love in our lives through all of the mothers that we have had um, in our lives, whether it's earthly mothers or um, the grace of, of people that you put in our lives that, to mother us. And I'm so thankful, um, Father, for um, the way that you are imaged and displayed in the beauty of mothers. Thank you. Father, thank you for your word. I ask that your word would be clear tonight. I ask the Holy Spirit that you would take these words of scripture, this letter from the Apostle Paul, I ask that you would take it into our hearts, um, that if we've heard it a thousand times, a hundred times, 50 times, whatever it is, or for the first time, I ask that you would show us and reveal to us the beauty of this truth and that, that it would become more for us tonight a reality than something that we know or can state. And I ask that you would leave us um, tonight transformed by your word. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, if y'all are okay, we're gonna get right into it. So Ephesians 3, if you have a Bible or a phone, and I know you have one of the two, go to Ephesians 3. 
Ephesians 3, verse 1. Thank you, Lauren, for just reading it for us. Um, Paul says, Ephesians 3, 1, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. That's verse 1, and he's saying, for this reason. And it's everything he had just written, first two chapters, and what he had just written in the second half of Ephesians 2, which I preached through last week, if you weren't there. Um, and he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then there's a, there's a stop, there's a pause. And if you'll look, he takes 12 verses, going all the way to verse 14, if you look at that, verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees. So Paul started a thought, he was actually starting a prayer. He was actually starting the prayer that we'll talk about next week, that starts in verse 14. So it would read, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, bow my knees before the Father, and he goes into a beautiful prayer that we look into, but he doesn't get to the point <clears throat> right away. And I take great solace in this. As someone that can go on a little longer and not get to the point right away, and when I see my wife looking at me as I'm telling her something and telling her story, and she's wondering how long is it gonna take for him to get to this point, it's gonna take 12 verses, Kara, before I get to this point. So I'm just saying I feel validated by Paul. And for those of you that are blessed with brevity and being able to get to the point, I just wanna tell you that you're unbiblical. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> we're gonna move on. <clears throat> we're going right to verse one. So for this reason, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. There's this sandwich when, when Paul's doing this aside before he gets to this prayer that he's gonna pray, he wants to communicate two main things. He wants to tell them a mystery that was given to them by God, by revelation, that God gave him to steward and to preach. And then through that, he wants to double down and reemphasize everything he just talked about in verses 11 through 22 in chapter two. So he's gonna double down, he's gonna reemphasize. If you were here last week, you're gonna see a lot of the things restated. Paul's just gonna restate them, but he's gonna make it clear that this came to him and had to come to him through revelation from God. So that's what he's gonna do in these 12 verses. But he starts as a prisoner for Jesus. And this language in this verse could be, could be communicated, a prisoner of Jesus or prisoner for Jesus. He was in jail, he was in prison when he's writing this letter, and he was definitely in prison because of the Gentiles. There's a uh, quote um, from John Stott. He said, why is he in prison? Doubtless, by teaching exactly what he had just taught in Ephesians 2, namely, that by abolishing the divisive elements of the law, Jesus was creating a new people and a new building and building a new temple, so he was arrested. So he truly was a prisoner on behalf of the Gentiles. It was because of what he was preaching, that the dividing wall had been broken down and now there was one new people, one new family of God because of what Jesus did and only those who are in Christ, no matter the ethnicity, no matter the nationality, no matter the birthright. That's why he was in prison. And I, I promise I'm only gonna do this one more time. We're gonna skip to verse 13. I want you to see that he wants to communicate in this sandwich of this aside that he goes through. In verse 13, he communicates, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. 
We see this theme with Paul so many times throughout his letters. He's suffering, he's in prison, he's in, and, and yet he's not distraught. And I don't think he's faking it. And I don't think he's grinning and bearing it. What he's saying in verse 13 about what he's about to expound on in these 12 verses is don't lose heart what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. He's saying don't lose heart because in comparison to the gift of him being able to steward this good news and give it to the Gentiles, imprisonment to him was nothing compared to that. And always when Paul is saying, I considered the loss of all things as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. And then we see in um, 2 Corinthians 4.17, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So if we wanna suffer like Paul, suffer well, it has to be in comparison to something greater. He was always expounding on his willingness to suffer, his willingness to endure because of what he had had, what he had been given. In this case, he had been given the great privilege to declare to the Gentiles amazing news. They were welcomed in and that there was no barrier and there was no dividing wall, that they were welcomed in and anyone who would put their faith in Jesus is welcomed in. So he says, don't lose heart. This is for your glory. All right, we're gonna go back to verse two. So this is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Verse two, I'm gonna read verses two through six as Paul does this aside and breaks off from going into a prayer. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. When he said I'd written briefly, he's talking about what he just wrote in the previous chapter. So when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, the mystery is this, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now we have to stop and recognize that three times here he talks about mystery. The mystery was made known to me, and then the mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. The, the issue that we have is mystery in English means something different than what it means here. In English, we mean mystery means something's confusing, we don't understand it, um, it's confounding to us and we, we can't comprehend it. It's like mystery is, why would anyone wanna be a Georgia Bulldog fan? That's like a mystery to me why that would ever happen and I don't understand it and it won't be revealed to me. <clears throat> that was for Austin and Aaron and Renee and uh, I didn't want to do A&M because there's a lot of you guys in here. <laughs> you start making weird noises and hissing at me and different, just occultish stuff like that. Um, so that's the mystery. I don't, this is confusing. But what Paul is saying, how he is using it, is it's something that was concealed but now has been revealed and made known. It's a plan that God had planned ages ago that was hidden but is now completely revealed. It's an, one, one way of putting it, it's an open secret. Used to be concealed, now it's completely out in the open. And the mystery is what? Verse six, 
The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And again, he's reemphasizing what he had just talked about. In chapter two, it says that these Gentiles were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Now, they are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. They, weren't, they once were not a people of God, not in the family of God. Now, they're fellow heirs, members of the same body. Chapter two, you see that in verse 19, he says, you, you therefore no, no longer strangers, aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We talked last time um, how in the temple area, Jewish temple, there was an outer court of the Gentiles, and in that outer court, there was this wall, this wall around the temple with the Gentiles, and there was a clear wall, and they were not allowed to go through, and there's been ex excavations of showing what the signs were back in that day of what the signs said on that wall on the outside of the temple of the Israelite people. And the translation of that sign was saying, no foreigners may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So we talked about how welcoming that was. It's very nice. The point was the Gentiles knew that they were not welcomed. They were not a part of the people of God. It was very clear to them. And now Paul is saying, there's a mystery that has been made known, revelation to Paul. And we have to understand, Paul was the one dragging Christians off to be killed. The heresy of Gentiles be uncircumcised being welcomed in. There's a quote by a, um, a theologian, Craig Keener, it says, to make uncircumcised Gentile Christians part of the same covenant would have sounded like heresy to many Jewish readers jolting their ethnic sensitivities. Even though God had promised Abraham, Genesis 12, through you all the nations of the world would be blessed. Even though that had been promised, they could not have imagined that God would create one new people, international, breaking down every ethnic divide, and it didn't matter if you were born into the right family. What mattered is you were born from above. You were born of the Spirit of God, and that through faith in Christ, as you were born from God, you are one family, Jew, Greek, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. We did Colossians 3 in our discipleship groups male, female, Greek, Jew, all are broken down. And God's intent was to create one new people to be lavished with his kindness for ages upon ages, eternity beyond eternity, and to rule and reign with him forever. God is revealing that. And that's why we're gonna talk about I am who you say I am. I, I, you know, we're gonna look at this. It's hard for me day to day week to week, the monotony of life, to believe who we actually are as God's people, as his church. It's only gonna keep going, so I'm, I'm gonna spend up too much time. Revelation had to come to Paul for him to lay down his zealous persecution of the church and to preach this good news. God had already said that his plan was to unite everything in heaven and on earth in Christ. Steve's talked about that. It's gonna unite everything in heaven and on earth through Christ. 
central to this plan was unifying people to people, nation to nation, breaking down all of those divides and creating one new family in Christ. I like this quote. You're gonna have to decide if you like this quote. It's from a, a, a Christian writer named Dallas Willard talking about the aim of God in human history. The aim of God in human history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Now we can, um, you can as you read scripture, try that quote on, see if it fits, if it doesn't throw it out. But what, when we think about that all-inclusiveness, sometimes we can shrink back a little bit because our culture, I mentioned this last week, loves the idea of all-inclusiveness, but what they mean by all-inclusive is just another uh, temple full of many gods, those gods made in our own image. That where we do what we wanna do and we live how we feel is right, but God's invitation and his all-inclusiveness is that there is nothing about you or your birth or anything that would keep you from entering the kingdom of God. He has taken down every barrier because of what he has done in Jesus. And he welcomes us into his kingdom under the loving rule and reign of King Jesus. And so a community where we're all do what is right in our own eyes does not create a community of love. It creates a community with little kingdoms butting up against each other all the time. The only thing that creates the community of love that God envisions for all of eternity is to receive it from the self-giving love of God himself dying on the cross, giving his body to break down that dividing wall that we saw last week in chapter, chapter two and pouring out his blood, reconciling us all to God through the forgiveness of sins and bringing us into communion with him one father, we talked about last week, we all have one father. And before this, it was only the Israelite people that could have God as their father. And now Paul is amazed <laughs> as he's preaching this good news that that has all been broken down because of what Jesus has done. So <clears throat> God's all inclusion is that there are no barriers. And this is hard for us because I talked about last week, most of us, if not 100%, are Gentiles in here, not of Jewish heritage, not Israelite heritage. So it's hard for us to understand the centrality of this for Paul in his day, that Jew and Gentile will be reconciled into one new people. But this isn't just Jew to Gentile, it's the division of people that has happened throughout human history that God knew in his plan he had to reconcile us horizontally to one another to create one family. It's because all throughout human history we have been at odds with each other. Nation to nation, genocide upon genocide. We have the Rwandan genocide, two different people slaughtering each other. And our nation isn't exempt from itself through the atrocity of the US slave trade and through moving into the civil rights area where Christians <clears throat> would refuse fellowship based on the color of someone's skin. It's not just sinful and it's not just wicked, it is 
an affront to the very central plan of the good news of Jesus to refuse fellowship based on nationality, based on color, based on these things is in a very fr- an affront to the gospel itself. And Paul saw this. <clears throat> Paul confronted one of Jesus' best friends, Peter, about this. Peter was fellowship in Acts. He's, he's fellowship with the Gentiles. God had said the Gentiles are welcomed in. He's fellowshipping. But then when some prominent Jews came into town, Peter removed himself from fellowship in the Gentiles. And Paul said, I confronted him to his face. Not just to his face. He didn't pull Peter aside and say, hey, hey we got to talk. He, he got in this room with all of you. And he said, Peter, I have something to tell you in front of everyone. And listen to why he said this. Paul confronted Peter face to face in front of all. Galatians 2, 14, when I saw that they were, and other Jews had joined Peter in this hypocrisy, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. That's why he confronted them. They weren't acting in line with the truth of the gospel. I think this quote is helpful. It's a little bit longer. Stick with me. Theologian named James Dunn. It was precisely this breaking down of one of the fundamental dividing lines in human history, Jew and Gentile, that Paul saw was as the climax of the divine purpose for creation. Such breaking down of barriers of nation and race, often so impenetrable to human resources, must therefore be for him one of the primary goals of the gospel. Indeed, we might say that such reconciliation between the diversity of nationalities and races one of one of the main tests for the church one of the most crucial signs of effectiveness of the gospel. Without the reconciliation of nation to nation, nation, race to race, social group to social group, the reconciliation of all things to Christ has not even begun. The horizontal reconciliation was central to the work of the gospel and the renewal of all things. Because if God was gonna renew all of creation, which he is, He has to start with those he made in his image, Genesis 1, to have dominion over the earth themselves. He had to start with humans because from the beginning, he had given them the task to image him in creation, to steward the earth and to have dominion over it. But when sin came in, we're gonna talk about the powers at work to work to divide humans, this spiritual powers and authorities in the heavenly places of which we wage war, caused division in the breaking down of the trust between person to person, nation to nation. So God, in God's plan, he had to create a renewed humanity that would fulfill his original purpose for creation. Listen to this, Romans, this is Romans 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God because the creation itself will be set free from bondage and to to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I am who you say I am. (laughs) Do you believe that we, as God's people, the church, one new people, is the hope for creation? (laughs) It's all God, it's all from God. Nothing of this happens, we're gonna talk about it, without God and without Jesus. But he is saying, God, creation itself will be set free 
from its bondage and decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In a parallel passage in 1 Corinthians, he tells more Gentile Christians, here's a mystery, but he, he, he does it a little bit different. It's not Jew and Gentile reconciled. The mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And those aren't two different mysteries. The reason Jew and Gentile, people that aren't like me and me, different personalities, different political persuasions, different colors, different everything, different socioeconomic, different age, the reason there is one new people is that we are all in Christ and that Christ is in us. This mystery, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We all share the same hope because we share the same reality of our Savior in us. So all the things that normally divide humans, the church, the Christian church, those of followers of Jesus should be the example to the world to say that the, how are these people so united, moving forward, able to love one another despite the differences and have these divides all broken down. It's because Christ is in us. That's our only hope and that's the only way that it happens. We're gonna keep moving. Verses seven. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. So Paul's simply saying here, I was, I was given this honor, but it's God's grace that is accomplishing it. He gave it to me, he revealed it to me, and then he enabled me to preach the, this good news to the Gentiles. It was given to him by the working of his power. Again, all of this comes from God. This doesn't come from us, we receive it. Paul received that and he gave it away. And it bore fruit. We're sitting here because of it. If all of us are Gentiles in here, and I would think maybe that's the case, at least most. It bore fruit. Thousands of years later, Houston, Texas, all of us here. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And this is the part of I am who you say I am. It, the, the first two chapters that Paul goes through, it's, it is thing after thing, and, and this word unsearchable, it means untraceable. It means I can't, there's, it's so much, I can't even hit all, I can't even find the end of these riches. That's what that word means. And if you don't mind, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna highlight some things. I'm gonna start in chapter one. I'm gonna go really quick, but I just wanna highlight some things to make a point that, that Paul, because he's gonna hinge this chapter four and he's gonna talk to them about how they're living. But the first thing he does in, these, in this first half of this letter to these believers is he, he tells them who they are and what they have. This, listen to what he says in, in chapter one. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, adopted as sons, redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, an inheritance, Christ's inheritance, 
given the promised Holy Spirit a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. That word's a down payment. If you're gonna pay someone, say I'm gonna give you $300,000 for this house, you, you don't just, a down payment isn't a promise to give them that, that money one day. A down payment is you give them that actual money. Not all of it, but you give them actual money. And I love this phrase in, in a book by a guy named Eldon Ladd. He says, this gift of the Holy Spirit, eternal life here and now, is in part, but in reality. It is the life of the age to come. It's the life that God promises those who are in Christ. And he says, the Holy Spirit is the down payment. You should taste it now. We should experience it here and now, heaven to earth, because God is with us. And he gives us that down payment in the Holy Spirit. So we have that hope of glory, that we know what our future looks like. It looks like enjoying God forever. And then he prays. He says, I pray they give them revelation, the knowledge of him, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that they would know the hope to which they have been called. So much in that hope. No more sickness, no more death, joy in the presence of God and his new creation, the hope to which they are called. What are the riches of his, inglori- his glorious inheritance in the saints? This is, what are God's riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? You, we, y'all, are God's glorious inheritance. I am who you say I am. Y'all are God's glorious inheritance. He's saying we, the church, are his glorious inheritance. Do you feel like that? Most days I don't feel like God's glorious inheritance, but I think he wants us to receive that. What are the immeasurable immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believed? The same power that raised Christ from the dead. And he put all things under his feet, which and, under, and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We're the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. And then he said, if you, if you forgot, you were dead. You had no hope of this. You were dead in your sins. No ability to work your way up to God. You were lost, you were dead. But God, in his great mercy, he saved us. When we were children of wrath, he made us children of God. And he said to do this, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us who believe. And then he says, we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, his creation. And he's put good works out ahead of us that we should walk in them. And then he says, you are alienated, but now you've been brought in as one new family of God. And now you have access to God the Father by the Spirit. And though you were strangers, now you are part of the family of God. And now you are the building, the dwelling place where God lives here on earth. That's a lot. I don't know if you guys feel like that. So I've read through it. That's a lot. But Paul is saying here, to me, I was given the grace to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I want you to see this, though. In these first three chapters, with all of these things that Paul's detailing about 
who these Ephesians believers are and what they have, he starts with a prayer. God, give them help, enlighten eyes of their heart that they could actually receive this. And then in the end of chapter three, he's gonna pray for them again. God, by your spirit, help them to receive this reality. So Paul himself knows these are hard things to take down and to become realities in our hearts and live them out like they were actually true. So we need the actual help of the living God, the Holy Spirit, to be able to believe these truths. Paul saw it, Paul prayed for them. We're gonna pray for it tonight, if that's okay. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So now this mystery, though it was hidden, is revealed to everybody. Not just everybody, moving into verse 10. So that the church, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is incredible. And we don't have time to get into, we don't have enough time to expound on this, but chapter six of Ephesians, Paul clearly says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but rulers and powers and authorities in the heavenly places. So it was Jesus's worldview and Paul's worldview that there are unseen powers, forces aligned with our enemy, the adversary, Satan, to kill, steal, and destroy, to destroy God's good creation. And their main focus is God's image, it's us. And they had worked to divide humanity since of all of human history, these powers at work to destroy what God had created to be good, and that through sin, in our own sin, in humans' own sin, they have been at work to utilize that sinful nature and to divide and to destroy. And I think we see it everywhere. I feel like every week I see in the news someone slaughtering people in our country and in all around the world. You see this at work constantly happening. But as God breaks in with Jesus in the self-giving love on the cross, the blood poured out, the body broken, he makes one new people that the heavenly powers, the demonic powers in the heavenly places look and are confounded of what God has done in us. One new people, no dividing lines, no racial barriers, no national barriers, no personality barriers, no barriers. One new people united under the loving care of our shepherd Jesus. One father who we all have access to the rulers and the powers and authorities in the heavenly places have been served the notice of their destruction, have been displayed the wisdom of God through us, through the church, through the assembly of those who follow Jesus and trust in him. That's what Paul is telling these Ephesian believers. And that's what God is telling us tonight, still the reality. God is displaying his wisdom to those heavenly powers through us. Discipleship group every week can feel monotonous, community group coming here on Sundays, simple acts of love and care 
for your brother and sister. It can all feel so small. It can all feel so small. It can feel insignificant. Paul is saying it is not insignificant. It is a display to the rulers and the powers and the authorities that have come to destroy God's good creation. Our simple love for one another is a display of what God is doing and will do forever. It is a sign of their demise. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was accomplished by God through Jesus. Humans for thousands of years have dreamed and worked towards the idea of human progress and utopia, and it always fails. Sometimes it fails miserably. That was the aim of the Third Reich. It was the aim of Germany in that age, a utopia ended in genocide and slaughter. But this is something we receive. It is the eternal purpose that God had planned long ago and was accomplished through Jesus. And so we receive the salvation and through it, we display the glory of God to the world and to the authorities in the heavenly places. But it is all, and that's why we sing, that's why we worship. Apart from Christ, we're still dead, we're still alienated. We are not God's people and we do not have access to him. But because he came, because he obeyed the Father and because he loved us to death, we can sing about these things, we can receive them, and we can live in them. And now we get to verse 12. <clears throat> but if you do me a favor, chapter two, verse 18. We ended with this last time, we're gonna end with it again, because Paul ends with it, so I'm gonna go with that too. Um, in this chapter two, verse 18, for through Jesus, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. For through Jesus, we all, Jew and Gentile, whoever we are, because of Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. Going to verse 12 of chapter three, he doubles down. He doubles down and he reemphasizes not just access to the Father, but he says, in Jesus, in whom, in Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Last week, we just talked and prayed through having access to the Father. We're gonna do it again, but Paul wants us to know not just access, boldness. Access with confidence. Boldness with confident access to God not because we're the right type of people to come in God's presence, but because of Jesus. And because Jesus did what he did, because he entered into the Holy of Holies, because he's our high priest, and because we're in him, we can come to God, our Father, with boldness and confident access. That word boldness in the Greek really it has a connotation of freedom of speech. It's someone, one of your closest friends or your spouse where you know you can talk openly with them. A lot of our relationships, we can talk kind of openly, but we're still pretty guarded in our communication with most people, even some close friends. But the closest of friends, our spouses, whoever's closest, we have freedom of speech. 
I don't know if you think about that with your relationship with God. That's a little hard for me. Um, if that's hard for you, I think you're in good company, and I think we should pray about it tonight. But, but we're going to conclude with Paul saying we have bold and confident access to God. This is his conclusion, and this is the most unifying piece. We all, no matter who we are, have in Christ boldness and access with confidence to God. We now live with God as Jesus did on earth. In Exodus 33, um, God tells Moses to go into the promised land, but he doesn't say that he's gonna go with him. And this is Moses' response. He says, if your presence does not go with us, God, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us? So that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people on the face of the earth. It's not our good deeds and our morality that sets us apart, though that should be fruit. It's not even our love for one another that makes us distinct, although that must be the fruit that the world sees. What makes us distinct is that God goes with us and we are with him. And Jesus didn't do what he did, didn't die the death that he did for us to stand far off from God. He went to those lengths so that we could have bold and confident access to God. So Matt, invite the worship team to come up. Last week, um, <clears throat> when I was talking about this access, I, we gotta be careful because I talked about a viral video where there's a BBC interview. The guy being interviewed was on a webcam in his home office, very serious interview serious office and out of the corner of the screen you see this door burst open and his four-year-old daughter just barges into the room with just like just like here I am I'm here and he's he's all shocked last week when I said that someone sent me a message that that night and said that um, Instagram had served them that video that night after my sermon so <clears throat> I'm saying it again just um, so that our AI overlords can serve you guys <clears throat> that same video tonight so you can see what bold and confident access looks like. And what's funny is when his daughter bursts in that room, he ignores her, he pretends like it's not happening, which is all the more funny to me because she's just bar barging in and she ignores her. And, and I think a lot of times we can feel like that to God. He's in an important meeting. He does not have time for me. But what I love is his daughter didn't care how important the meeting was. She had boldness and she knew she had access. And Jesus tells this amazing parable to tell us to pray and not lose heart. He's, he compares, he says, God, he does this parable and says, there's this unrighteous judge. He's an unrighteous judge, not a good guy. But this widow keeps barging on his door and telling him, asking for justice. And he says, she's not gonna leave me alone. So I'm just gonna give in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give her the, what she needs. God compares himself in that, not because he's an unrighteous judge, because he wants to make the point. It's similar to Jesus saying, if you, an evil father, know how to give your kid an egg when he asks for an egg and not a scorpion, how much more will the most loving person in the universe, God our Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So in the same way, even if our concept of God is someone who ignores us or is too busy for us or is too important for us, let's be defiant on that. 
if that's our view, if that's what's in our heart, let's come like that girl and burst into the room and say, God, I need to live life like this is true, that I have confident and bold access to the God of the universe because of what Jesus has done for me, because I'm included in the family of God, because I'm a part of your plan for all things to be made new. us not, again, not to move on to the next thing that we've got tonight. Whereas if this is what the Bible is saying, even if it's not in line with how I feel, what I think about God, or there's a lot of baggage in my life that keeps me from believing that, we won't, won't hit a target we're not aiming at. We need to pursue it. God wants us to come close. So, if you don't mind closing your eyes, I'm just gonna pray for us. And I'm gonna list off some things and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak. Father, thank you that these things are true. Even though it can be hard to believe these amazing truths that Paul has dis disclosed and proclaimed through the gospel. It can be hard. So just ask, Holy Spirit, you would help us lovingly, tenderly, help us to see what is keeping us from believing we have bold and confident access to you. What is keeping us from believing, receiving, and living in that reality that we are who you say we are? do have access to you, that we can come to you, that you do see and care about every aspect of our life. Is there any compromise in our walk with God? Are we walking in ways that we know are out of line with his revealed will? If that's true, he is more than ready to forgive us. Isaiah 55 says, let the wicked forsake their way, the unrighteous their thoughts, let them return to the Lord that he might have compassion for he will abundantly pardon. He's ready to forgive and welcome us in. No questions asked, just honesty.
This is the truth of our earthly father. Psalm 103, he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So many of us, myself included, have lived like God is slow to love and abounding in anger. It's not what it says. He's slow to anger, overflowing with steadfast love. Maybe we've busied our life with other things and crowded out coming to God with boldness and access. Jesus warns us in Mark 4, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter and choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. He doesn't want us to miss out on the amazing reality who we are right now here on, the, on this earth. I don't want us to miss it because we're so consumed with other things. Do we feel unworthy, too small, insignificant? sings, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.